ethos. God created you this way for a reason. He gave you this desire and this ability and this talent to do something. And by using it and developing it and, and strengthening it, this is actually, it's good for you. And, and if you're doing it the way we're talking about in the way that's this provoking way, you know what? The world around you is a better place. Welcome to the Creative Coach Cast. I'm Paul Goldsmith, an entrepreneur and creative coach on the show committed to helping you transform your creative ideas into a reality. Keith Giles is a copywriter, author, and podcaster and program director for Peace Catalyst International. Keith, welcome to the Creative Coach Cast. Thank you so much. I'm just inspired by your range of creativity. I mentioned author, copywriter, podcaster. You go from writing marketing copy for Fortune 500 companies to podcast about old movies. What are your limits? Where, where does your creativity stop? Wow, that's a good question. I recognize that I do a lot. But the funny thing is, I only recognize that I do a lot of things because other people point it out to me. I don't feel like I'm doing too many things because I'm, I'm really doing all the things I love to do. Well, I think you're living the proverbial dream for so many creatives that think, well, yeah, but I got to do my day job and there's just not enough time to blog and podcast. What's your process? Where did you even get started in your creative writing and pursuits to where that now you wake up every day and that's what you do? I've always been a writer. I loved creative writing classes in high school. I was a creative writing major in college. I kind of always wanted to do that. I didn't always do that for a living, but I eventually figured out that people would pay me to write. So I did that. I did the day job thing for quite a while. The great thing was, it was the perfect storm. When I was finished writing whatever my projects were for the day for my job, my day job, I could flip over and write, my, write a blog post or work on some research for my book or something. And that was fine. As long as I was keeping up with my assignments, nobody was concerned about that. So that was one way I guess I was able to do the day job and my personal writing. But the story of how I ended up doing it full-time, I've only been doing it full-time you know, as an author and a blogger and a podcaster and all that for about two years or so. I, I kind of got pushed out of the boat. My wife, Wendy, and I had moved to Idaho to take a job. I did not work out. And in a way, it's a good thing. It's one of those blessings in disguise kind of a thing. But I was kind of like stuck. Here I was in Idaho, in Boise, Idaho. I didn't know anybody. I'd only moved there for the job. The job didn't work out. So now I'm like, well, now what do I do? I was already, you know, blogging. I had a Patreon page and I was already getting a little bit every month on Patreon. I had already published a couple of books. So I was getting royalties every month. In the meantime, I got some really great freelance jobs. It was probably about four or five months into this process of not having a job and yet still being able to pay the bills, pay the rent, you know, put food on the table through either my books, my blogs, uh, a little bit from my podcast and things like that. Some, all these different streams that I sort of said, Wow. I was driving in my car and I was like talking to God about it. And I was like, God, we're okay. We're doing really good. And, you know, I feel like I'm walking on water here. And immediately I had the thought of like, you know, when you're walking on water, you probably shouldn't stop to figure out how you're doing it because you're going to sink. Right? <laughs> just keep so, going. Just keep going. And that was my thing. I was like, you know what? It's working. I really don't know exactly how it's working, but I'm just going to keep on walking. And that's what happened. Now, I got to say, I got to add in, there was one pretty significant thing that I did. I had actually started doing it just before the job fell through, which was doing some online courses. So it was like a Christian college, small Christian college that did online courses and they were looking for people to teach. So I was teaching some courses based on my books. Well, I thought, you know what? This is really awesome. I could really do my own set of program like this. And so I did. And eventually I moved all of those courses I was doing through that, through that university or that college over onto my personal platform. And that's probably about 45 or so percent 
of my income, the other significant portion, about 40% being through my books, royalties, and then the rest sprinkled in there is all the other little things. It's the kind of thing where it takes a while if somebody has this as a goal to do what I'm doing. It wasn't about doing one thing. It wasn't just like making money on the books. It's the books. It's the podcast. It's the blog. It's the online courses. It's some freelance writing. It's a variety of things. That's what's made it possible for me to keep doing what I'm doing, what I love to do. Yeah. Diversification. You're not relying upon one stream. That's really good counsel. And it sounds like you started pursuing those creative habits before you needed to rely on them for an income. And then one after another, you just kind of kept putting out content. You write a lot about your faith. Uh And I heard you say this on a podcast where you said, true art is a prophetic voice. It provokes Uh us to action. That sounds good. What, What do you mean by that? That whole concept came through a conversation I had with a really good friend of mine. His name is Scott Lom, and he's an amazing painter and artist. And he was uh, one of these friends. Every time we went out for coffee, I came home with like five amazing ideas. Like he was a catalyst. We would spend a lot of time together talking about that he had done a lot of thinking about this. And I think he had shared an article with me that he had read where an artist, a Christian artist, was talking about this, about how art should be like the prophetic voices that we see in like the Old Testament. Because the problem is most of us tend to think of a prophet as someone who tells you the future. But really, that isn't what most of the prophets are doing in the Old Testament. What they're doing is standing up to the people and trying to open their eyes to show them a problem, to say, this, you got to stop, we got to change this, we got to fix this. You know, if we don't, bad things are going to happen, but let's change it. Let's work together and, and avoid the path that we're on so we can avoid some problems that may be coming down the road. So, that art should do that. So it was an interesting idea. Good art should do this. Good art should be a prophetic voice to the culture that provokes them, that helps opens their eyes to see things they don't see and provokes them into a positive change. And I really resonated with that idea. I thought, you know what? I think that's right. I think that's what I love about art. But if there's not that really kind of that bedrock layer of, yeah, but you know what? This is also telling me something about myself or about my life or about things I need to do better. If it's got that bottom bedrock layer of that prophetic voice, that's really the art that to me transcends everything else. Like I I love, that's my favorite stuff. I wanted to be a writer like that. And at the time of those conversations, I was writing like science fiction stories just for fun. And um, I had found some artists who were really amazing. Some of them now are working professionally in like Marvel and DC comics and things like that. They were working on my scripts and I was just having a good time. But through those conversations with Scott, it made me consider, it made me think about what am I doing? Like, where's that bedrock layer in what I'm doing? Is there something in what I'm doing that's behaving as this prophetic voice that's opening people's eyes to things they don't see and provoking them to positive change? And a few of my projects, I could say maybe, but not really. You know, it wasn't, it was super intentional. I remember driving home from one of those conversations with my friend and deciding I was going to lay it down. I was going to let go of the whole comic book, science fiction thing. The thought that came to my mind was this. It was like, what if I use my gift of writing for the kingdom? What would that look like? And just that idea and that question in my head made me decide to put aside the, the science fiction stuff. And I want to write about spiritual things. I want, to, I want to speak to people like myself who are maybe raised American Christians and share what I'm seeing and help them see things. And so I started blogging. I started writing a column for Relevant Magazine. And then out of the blog came my books. You know, So it kind of just snowballed. Yeah. You mentioned true art is provocative. I saw something provocative that you recently shared from a new book you're authoring. 
You said yeah. human beings are mimetic creatures. We mimic one another. That is to say, we reflexively behave the way others around us behave and are influenced by others to desire what they desire. In other words, our actions and our desires are not truly our own. We inherently learn what we should value based on what we see others seeing after. How do we break out of that? How do you break out of that? Because, you know, we go on social media and it's an echo chamber, right? And so how do you break out of the echo chamber and actually create original art that isn't mimicking somebody else? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is recognizing that you do that. That's step one. These ideas are not my original. This, this comes from a guy named Rene Girard, who's phenomenal, by the way, and I really recommend his stuff. He has a book called I See Satan Fall Like Lightning that's amazing. And he's probably one of the first persons who illuminated this mechanism of mimetic behavior and which leads to mimetic rivalry. So step one is recognizing that we have it. Most of us are blind to it. So number one is understanding that your desires are not your own. This is why marketing works. I was in marketing for many years. It does work. This is the reason why right, you have a celebrity endorsements. And it's the reason why even we will go to Amazon and we'll read whether someone liked this product or not, total strangers, and we'll buy it based on what they tell us. But, oh, they like it. They, they thought it was great. Okay, I'm going to do it too. It's a similar kind of mechanism. And so we think our desires are our own, but they're not. And so that's number one. I mean, on a spiritual level, the way you break out of it, out of that loop, this is what I think is a genius of what Jesus does. Jesus says, okay, yeah, this is what you're like. You're always mimicking each other's desires. Uh, he doesn't say, stop it. The Ten Commandments say, stop it, but it doesn't tell you how. Jesus doesn't say, stop it. He says, mimic me, right? Mm. So, because what Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. My desire is to please the Father. So, if you mimic me, you'll be mimicking the desires of the Father. And this is sort of a way to redirect that into something that's more positive on a spiritual level, on a creative level. I, I don't know, I guess to me, and I think this is true, whether you are a Christian or not, because I've seen the impact of it from people that are, wouldn't identify, you know, at least publicly as Christians per se, but they still end up creating art that provokes, that has this underlying deep spiritual meaningful message that resonates with people on a human level. They go, yes, that's true. Yes, this is right. Yes, this is something, you know, that that speaks to me and, and opens my eyes to something. And so what's going on? Like, it's not only Christians that can do that. Anyone can do that. Even if you're not intending to do it for a quote unquote Christian purpose, we're still tapping into that. So I think there's always a spiritual element to our creativity. I think if you're a creative person, not everybody, but like a lot of people that are creative, I think you are on one level trying to get at the truth, right? You're trying to communicate truth. You're trying you do that by being honest, by being vulnerable, by being transparent. That's usually, I think, how most artists really get at that. The deep stuff that means something, that resonates, that lasts, that people carry to their grave, like this is beautiful and this is meaningful, I think is art that has that vulnerability, has that transparency, has that honesty, and has that desire to tell the truth. I think if you're doing those things, you're not tapping into what's popular, what's hip, and what's cool. You're kind of tapping into something that's really deep within yourself. That's probably closer to that sort of divine spark within you, whether again, you're a Christian or not. I just read a new book from psychologist Adam Grant. It's called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. Totally reinforces what you're saying. In the book, Think Again, he tells the story of Steve Jobs hated the idea of the iPhone at first. And when we think of creative geniuses, I mean, Steve Jobs <laughs> would be the first name that usually comes to mind in our modern era. And he thought, why would somebody want to complicate the iPod, which you had all these songs in your pocket with a phone? 
but ultimately he was willing to reconsider his own thinking when he had enough creative people around him to show why, you know, that's where the future was going, that you'd have a computer in your pocket. But that was a foreign concept to them all. You know, nobody had thought of that. There was the BlackBerry people had been accustomed to. It had the keyboard and you could type out emails and it was just for email. And that was serving a business purpose. But why would somebody want a TV or a computer in their pocket? That just seemed like a bad idea until it wasn't. And so obviously the iPhone is the majority of Apple's profits these days because Steve Jobs, as creative as he was, was willing to think again and reconsider his assumptions. And that sounds like what you're saying, kind of question your underlying assumptions about what is actually true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you as a person have to be going through your own process of determining what's true, right? Of evaluating yourself and saying, what about me is fake? What about me is real? Am I looking for the truth? And you're not going to do that unless you're vulnerable and you're honest with yourself. So this is this level of being an artist. It takes a, a huge amount of courage, I think, to do it and do it well. I think that's why maybe not everyone does it so well is because there is this level of sort of like exposing your soul and your life to people around you. And that's scary. I think if you can do that, I think that's the most beautiful thing. And I've I've tried to do that. I always try to tell my own stories. I always try to say that this is what I was like growing up. This is what I struggle with. Those things are really important to include because otherwise you come across like someone who's got it all figured out. (laughs) And I don't think anybody has it figured out. Right. And well, I can admit, I definitely struggle with that. I feel like, why would anybody listen to me if I don't have it figured out? Right. I really get excited talking about this topic, Paul, because I guess I'll go in and say it because but I've been trying to keep a little bit of a secret. But one of the books I'm going to write in the future, after I write, after I finish the book I'm writing right now about nonviolence and stuff, I want to write a book about this kind of this exact topic of embracing mystery. I feel like, especially in the in the theological religious world, it's such a lost art. We don't know. I mean, we've become so much about certainty, so much about knowing. And I think that's really bad theology to walk Mm. around acting like we have it all figured out. One of the things I encourage people to do is, you know, in all of your deconstruction, the sort of like questioning your different theological beliefs. And what do I believe this? Do I believe that? You know, as you're doing that, I would encourage people, you should deconstruct your need to be right. That's such an important thing, an important first step for us. Let go of our need to be right. The opposite of faith isn't the doubt, it's certainty. And that certainty, once I have certainty, I don't have faith. But that certainty is a lie. It says that I understand God, like the most mind-boggling, different, unimaginable creature, you know, being in the universe. Of course, you don't understand. You've got the almighty figured out. Good for you. Yes. So certainty is putting you on a path towards putting God in a box. And that's a bad thing. So this is why I think it's so hard for us. Just at a very deep core level, humans have this curiosity. But the problem is, is that certainty kills that kind of kills that awe and that wonder and that curiosity. And I think we really need to find all the different ways of holding intention. It's not easy to do because you're going to constantly fight this inner desire to know, but I want to know, I want to know, but hold loosely enough to say, I think right now, you know, my my mind could change. I want to be open to learning more. I don't want to close the door on my ability to say, you know what, maybe I, I have something I can learn here. Maybe I'm not right. I want to, I want to listen to what someone has to say if they disagree with me because I might be wrong or because I might have something to learn. And that takes some humility, right? To stay in this place of humility of saying, well, I think I know this, but I don't know that I know everything. You might say childlike faith. I have a five-year-old 
and yes. he's in the why phase and it drives us nuts, right? Oh. And so at some point we say, well, because I said so, because we don't <laughs> want to keep talking. Right. But it realizes we kind of command that out of children and grow up and stop questioning things. You should just accept that's the way it is. Of course, now are we locking people into like what they understood when they were five or six years old? Or can we actually like gain in knowledge and ask why later in life and that intellectual curiosity and be okay with that, with not having it all figured out? That's no easy thing to do because how do we present in the world? We don't want to be seen as foolish and not having it figured out. In my mind, it pushes us back into this place where it's okay not to have it figured out. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to wrestle those questions out a little bit. And God's okay with that. God's not impatient. God's not nervous. It's more like, yeah, keep on thinking about that. Do you ever run out of creative ideas? It sounds like, obviously, you wake up every day and and create a lot of different things. But do you ever get what's known as creative block? Like where I got nothing, I'm out. Well, I mean, you know, everybody has their days, I guess. What I try to do to fight against that is if you could see my office right now, I have, I have a huge whiteboard over here to my right. It's just covered with stuff. And one of the little squares on my massive whiteboard is blog topics. And right now it's got mm. like 15 multicolored sort of dry erase marker ideas. So when it comes down to write a blog, I just look over, I scan, and I go, oh, okay, I'll write that one today. I'm always trying to create lists of ideas and I'm saving them somewhere, whether I'm writing them on a little post-it note or I'm putting it on a whiteboard. So you're capturing, uh, when inspiration strikes, you're capturing it, whether you fully write the blog now, it's not the point. It's just, you want to make sure you have a backlog of things to work on when you're ready to create. And you know, one of the other things that helps as well that I've discovered, one of the most amazing creative exercises that I do is taking walks. Something about taking those walks unlocks this creative idea. It's like an idea machine for me. And I think for some people, it could be taking a walk. It could be other people, it could be gardening. I think it's sort of like you have to put your brain in this automatic pilot, kind of a coast mode where you're doing something that doesn't take a lot of attention with your mind, with your brain. And it allows your brain to kind of relax and kind of play with ideas. There's definitely some truth to that. And I think some humility to that, as you were saying, being curious and not having it all figured out, going for a walk and just kind of letting go a little bit and doing something else, just getting out in nature, and suddenly the answer comes to you. I think that's pretty powerful to remind us that we just can't buckle down and will it to come into creation. We've got to actually let go a little bit and just trust the process. One practice that's worked really well for me is I got it from Julia Cameron's Artist Way book, and she talks about morning pages. She recommends every day waking up and writing three pages of stream of consciousness. And through those three pages, it's just get everything out of your head. And what are you feeling? You know, maybe there were some difficult conversations you had the day before, or there's a health scare, whatever it is, get it all out on paper. And after a a while, then you get the block out of the way and you start to flow about what you're dreaming about and what you hope to see happen. And it just starts to clear things up and can start getting all kinds of inspiration by the process. I think there's something special, not typing, but actually writing The, the physical act of writing it out just kind of gets it off of your mind. And then you're able to breathe a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. See, here's the thing. This is my, I guess, sort of a fringe benefit. I'm a writer, so I'm always writing. There is something for me absolutely about, uh, this will happen to me. Like I've been, if I'm laying in bed in the middle of the night and I wake up with this great idea, I cannot go back to sleep if I do not get up, write that thing down. And then I can go, then like, I feel like, okay, whew, all right, I got it. I wrote it down and now I can go to sleep. 
But there's something about writing it down that lets you sort of let go of it. That's great advice. I think my advice for writers is do that thing. Because I know so many people who will say, you know, oh, I'm, a, I'm an artist. And then like, oh, what did you draw today? Nothing. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, I yeah. see you're identifying with this. but Do the thing. Uh, yeah, do the thing. And so if you're a writer, darn it, write. And write all the time. If you're an yeah. artist, you better be drawing or painting something at least once a week. Like, you have this gift. You have this outlet for a reason. There's something mm-hmm. in you. This is an expression of your ideas, your thoughts, your feelings. It's who you are. And if you bottle that up and you're not actually sort of working that muscle, it's not even about like, oh, am I a writer or am I a photographer or an artist? It's not that. It's more about like being who you are and doing those things because God created you this way for a reason. He gave you this desire and this ability and this talent to do something. And by using it and developing it and, and strengthening it, this is actually, it's good for you. And, and if you're doing it the way we're talking about in the way that's this provoking way, you know what? The world around you is a better place because you're creating art that's like making people think and making people consider. And we need good art in the world. Yeah. So I just encourage people, whatever it is you, it, that you love to do, that you, that you have a talent or a gift for doing, do it. What I am continually learning and accepting back to the humility thing is you got to be okay not doing it well. The idea that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly and learning as yes. you go and developing that skill set, that muscle memory. Yeah. And, you know, um, I started this little podcast. We just started it called Imaginary Lines. It's all on creativity and stuff like that. And we were talking one of our episodes about that, about I know a lot of people, they, they approach this idea of inspiration. Like I shouldn't write something unless I feel this inspiration, right? Yeah. So I'm going to sit at the keyboard and stare at it until lightning strikes. My co-host said something like, when inspiration arrives, she should find you working. <laughs> I love that. The thing about writing is too, like, I promise you, you have never read a great novel or a great blog post or anything written that that's the first draft. So, you know what I mean? Like, so there's writing, but then there's rewriting and then there's editing and there's maybe another rewrite after that. So understand that there is a deeper process to the creative process. It's not just, you know, everything I write is perfect and beautiful. You have to be willing to make bad art to get to the good art. Yeah. Well, you've definitely given me inspiration here. I feel like I need to go for a walk. Keith, this is exceptional. I appreciate the time. What's the best way for people to find you if they want to read your stuff? Yeah. So, well, all my books, um, I wrote a book series called the Jesus Un series. Currently, there's six of them on Amazon right now and print. Most of them are on audiobook as well. I also blog on Pathios at KeithGiles.com. You can find me on Patreon. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. Lots of places to connect. Thank you for listening to the Creative Coachcast. I hope this has been beneficial. And if you like it, please review it and rate it. That way others can find it. And we'll talk to you next time.